You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. And so we are in week four of our Madison Multiply Summer Series, Prayers for Our City. And we're exploring prayers of boldness, unity, justice, mercy, and kingdom laborers. And so this morning, our focus is kingdom laborers. And this isn't just kind of a theme amongst many, but this is something that that comes from the core of who we are as citizens of the kingdom, as Christ followers. And this series as a whole is intended to reveal the vital role of prayer in mission. And for those of you who have been a Christian in your life, you know that one of the harder aspects for our humanity to wrap its mind around and really to get its feet moving on is the mission that Jesus has called us to. And so this series, I hope, has been just encouraging and edifying to you and has has spurred you on as as city groups come back and as they uh, restart in September to rethink just how mission is flowing not just out of the vine as a body, but in and through and out of your life as believers. And so before we get into this too far, would you pray with me and let's ask God's help for the task ahead of us. Oh God, we're gathered this morning because you have invited us to be in your presence as your people. And God, we know that this is a privilege. This is something that you took great measure to uh, make possible. And so, Father, we just glorify you for this reality. We're a people for your presence, and you are here with us this morning. And so I pray that by the Spirit, you would help us to see Christ big. That he would fill our whole vision, and that we would be compelled to be his obedient followers, good citizens of the kingdom that you are bringing in here in Madison and beyond. And so as we explore the word this morning, guide us, not just to see with our eyes, but really to see with our hearts. Stir in us a longing to participate actively in your work, preparing us to be committed, compassionate. Open us to your wisdom that we might be transformed and inspired to act, Jesus. And in your name we pray, and all my brothers and sisters joined me and said, Amen. Well, I want you to imagine for a second that you, it's Saturday morning, you wake up, you head downtown to the farmer's market, and you're anticipating what has become just a wonderful ritual in your life of going down a slow morning with coffee, some spicy cheese bread, Walking around the various vendors, booths brimming with fresh produce, right? I mean, this time of year, it feels like it's just never-ending. You know, tomatoes this big, zucchini this big. If you want to know what to do with those besides bread, ask me afterwards. But as you come to the market, a strange sight hits your eyes. Instead of the booths being brimming, they're almost empty. There's one or two pieces of produce on each shelf. And as you get closer, this kind of strange scene starts to take some shape. 
And all of a sudden you realize not only are these booths empty, but the number of workers in each booth has multiplied tenfold. And they're standing around, kind of hawking the couple of things they have, and talking about best practices, their expertise, techniques for trimming radishes, the right time to harvest potatoes. And it's just a very confusing scene. Confusion turns to understanding as you realize what's happening. Instead of being in the fields where these workers belong, putting their training and expert knowledge to work, bringing in the rich harvest for us to enjoy, all the workers have come to the market. The fields ripe and bursting with bounty are left unattended while the workers gather here, focusing on a task that's now become disconnected from the reality of what is happening. And this unexpected scene isn't just a quirky tale. It's a metaphor that reflects the spiritual reality we find ourselves in today. A spiritual harvest surrounds us, fine family, ready to be brought in. But too often the laborers gather elsewhere, distracted from the actual work of the kingdom. And so today we have the opportunity to realign ourselves with the mission of Jesus. I pray that our hearts will be stirred and our minds sharpened as we consider this vivid picture of the kingdom harvest and our place in it as his laborers. And so if you're not there already, turn to Matthew 9. We're going to be in verses 35 through 38 this morning. And I want to submit that these verses are a microcosm of Jesus' entire ministry. We see his his healing efforts. We see his, his heart of compassion his shepherding heart, his desire to to do justice. We see him interacting with his disciples, explaining to them the greater reality than what is just meeting the eye, and then instructing them to interact with God, something that in a very short number of weeks he is going to make possible in a way that it never was before. The fields are ripe, and Jesus' compassion for the lost is as relevant now as it was then. And yet he's saying that more laborers are needed. And so what does this mean for us in 2023? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Responding to Matthew 9, these verses requires us to hear Jesus' call to labor with love prayerfully, asking the Father to send laborers into the harvest. This is a call on all believers of Christ. Not just those right in front of him then, but those sitting in this room, those sitting in every space where he is worshipped this morning around the globe. Jesus calls us to labor with love, prayerfully asking the Father to send laborers into the harvest. And nestled inside this call are three foundational realities that we need to, to recognize and see how they fit. The first reality is that we're called to be compassionate like Jesus. The second reality is that we're in collaboration with Jesus. And the third reality is that we are called to be deeply committed to Jesus. So we're to be compassionate like Jesus, in collaboration with Jesus, deeply committed to Jesus. And these realities guide our understanding of what it means to answer as we trust God to send more kingdom laborers. These realities are intertwined with one another. They all work together to form the identity that we are called to. 
Compassion is necessary for collaboration. Collaboration is a display of our commitment. Commitment yields more compassion and a desire to be Jesus in our space with his body. Do you see? All three of them are fed by and founded in our life of prayer. And so we're going to need to remember that prayer is a conversation with God. We're looking for, for a back and a forth. You know, it's the cliche kind of preacher illustration to say, think of your closest relationship and if you just talked at that person. And not only do you not expect them to speak back, but you kind of like move to the other room when they do. Come back when you need something again. And while this isn't necessarily going to address our entire prayer life, I'd submit for you that as Jesus is instructing his disciples in Matthew 9, 38, he intends it to be an all-encompassing activity as our minds and our hearts are changed. Within each one of these three realities, we're going to explore what we're called to, what it looks like, and how just the general act of prayer connects to it in our life as Christians. And then as we close, we're going to get concrete about what next steps it might look like to actually weave in this prayer for kingdom laborers. So let's jump right in. First of the three realities, we are called to be compassionate like Jesus. Jesus' compassion is not merely a feeling. It's an active expression of his love that seeks to, to elevate, restore, and empower. In Matthew 9.36, he looks at the crowds with deep compassion. He sees their spiritual lostness. Lostness isn't just about not believing in Jesus. It's about everything that comes with not believing in Jesus. The tireless search for self-fulfillment. The hopelessness that comes from being the only one who has to ensure your personal safety, worth, and purpose. Jesus' compassion is tangible. It's expressed in his deeds, his miracles, his pursuit of those in physical and spiritual need. It's all of us. Each act manifests his love that transcends sentiment, driving him to reach out to others. It's in his compassion that we find the starting point for our own prayers, aligning our hearts with his and asking him to fill us with his love. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's in Luke 10. We won't read the whole thing, but if you want to, the reference is on the screen for you to look up later. In it, Jesus paints a vivid picture of compassion through the actions of a man considered an outsider. Someone hated by the Jews. And unlike the priest, the Levite, who passed by the wounded man on the road, knowing better than anyone, having knowledge of God's heart of compassion, it's the Samaritan. It's the man who is the pure outsider to their culture, to their religion, someone who they would say does not believe in the true God. He's moved by compassion. He doesn't just feel pity, he acts. He bandages the man's wounds, brings him to an inn, cares for him to his own expense. And we can't just take this as a moral lesson. This is a display. It's a picture of our Savior's heart. Like the Good Samaritan, Jesus sees our brokenness. He doesn't pass us by. His compassion leads him to act, to heal, to restore. He calls us to do the same. 
to be his hands and his feet, to be moved by love and guided by our relationship with him, reaching out to those in need with the same compassion that's been shown to us. And so as we just contemplate what it means to embody compassion like Jesus, we quickly recognize that this is not just a mere emotional response. It can't end there. It leaves us feeling hollow and unfulfilled, right? This has to be a profound commitment to love and serve others. It's a love that sees, feels, and acts, reaching the depths of human need and longing. And it's a love that is cultivated and expressed daily through prayer with Jesus. And as we cultivate and express this relationship through prayer, we are able to see with compassion. I want you to just reflect on your life, just your surroundings, the things that you encounter every day. How can prayer help you perceive the longing for kindness, empathy, and faith that exists in those around you? Well, to see with compassion, we must cultivate a heart that's attuned to the needs and longings of others. This requires a deep connection with God through prayer, His Word, where we seek His perspective and compassion. We lay aside the priorities that we place because of the things that we think humanly are important, and we fill them with the things that God says are important to Him. Prayer is how we align our hearts with Jesus pleading with him to open our eyes to the needs around us, to see the world the way that he would see it. It's not merely about observing needs, but feeling and compelling love that drives us to respond. And that response is to serve those around us with compassion. And so think about those same people, those same people that are in your life. How do we fulfill our purpose to serve and show compassion to them like Jesus? Well, this serving with compassion means recognizing that we cannot affect an outcome in their life. Compassion serving is doing everything at our disposal that we might move them closer to Jesus as He is calling them to Him. And sometimes it's just about meeting needs. Sometimes we don't see the fulfillment of our work. But as we pray for boldness to act out of our compassion to serve others, we ultimately are acknowledging that the harvest belongs to God. It helps us approach with, with humility, intentionality. And this alignment, again, is cultivated through prayer, where we seek God's guidance, His strength, asking Him to lead us in ways that reflect His love, His purposes in the world. Prayer is the vital link that connects us to Jesus, allowing us to draw from His wisdom, from the power of the Holy Spirit that fueled Jesus' entire ministry. I think we forget that sometimes. Jesus modeled Holy Spirit dependence as he got away from the crowds, away from the work, to be with the Father. How does prayer guide our actions to be more compassionate? It's the essential practice that shapes it. Through prayer, we seek God's will. We find inspiration and courage to serve like he did. And like the Good Samaritan, we decide, we resolve not to settle for simple pity, 
those in need of holistic restoration that only the gospel can provide. Prayer is not just a preparation for service. It's the ongoing conversation with Jesus that fuels our love. That's why he calls us to it. He wants to shape our actions. He wants to align us with his heart. So as we learn to be compassionate like Jesus, we're enabled to be in collaboration with Jesus, which is the second of the three realities that we see in this passage. Collaboration with Jesus is about aligning our hearts and our actions with his mission. Right? It, it dovetails in with it's serving others. It's the, the outworking of getting his heart of compassion. And I think that in light of this bountiful harvest that's to be brought in, sometimes we think about collaborating with Jesus kind of as he is in heaven praying for us on a regular basis. But we know the reality that we are the representation of the body of Christ here on earth. And not just Uvine family, not just Eastside, not just Redeemer City, but a diverse group of Christians all throughout our city. It shouldn't surprise us that laborers will be diverse as the harvest that they are tasked to bring in. The scope of Jesus' mission was always the ends of the earth. And it is so to that end that he sends his disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. He sends us as well. I want you to consider the church in Ephesus. It's a thriving community of believers in the first century. They're doing battle against a strong, secular, religious stronghold, the Temple of Artemis. And scholars believe the church in Ephesus was so large that it was too large, even in those days, to truly be one body. And that there were likely multiple congregations throughout the city. Why is this important? Well, I think the idea that there were multiple congregations in Ephesus reframes how we read Paul's letter to them. In many different places but specifically in the first few verses of Ephesians 4. Because if he's writing this to a church in the city, as in all of the expressions of the body of Christ in the city, then it reframes how we read about this unity. It's not just unity within a body, it's unity across the city. Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This call to unity is a unity in the body as expressed in a place. And I know that that's not without its challenges. But I think sometimes when we hear we need to be unified as a church in the city, we think about uniformity. We, we don't realize that the church in Ephesus was probably as diverse as could be. This was a city not just of, of previous international trade. And so as that died out, I think it's, it's not without a stretch of imagination. I think that some of the merchants just kind of settled down, found different things to do. The Temple of Artemis brought pilgrims from all over the known world. 
Many of whom would stay for days and for years. We know Paul was there for three years. This is a bustling, diverse, ethnic and social group of people. The unity and collaboration of the Ephesian church should remind us of our shared mission. The unity that's not merely a human endeavor, but a a spiritual collaboration. And prayer is what connects us not only to God's spirit, but together with one another in spirit. Aligning us as a church, a body of believers with Christ's mission. And so we should be praying for collaboration. How can we as the body of Christ collaborate in our community? I think it's by recognizing that it's God's desire. I think it's by recognizing that His heart is for collaboration. And as we ask Him to break down barriers and divisions uniting us in His shared mission, I believe that we will find a spirit of collaboration that transcends our individual congregations, our individual denominations, recognizing that we're all part of the body of Christ if we hold true to the faithful gospel. And this is Paul's message to the Ephesians. There's one gospel. You've heard me preach it. It's what has saved you. It's what is building you. It's what will save you. Hold fast to it. So how do our prayers for collaboration connect with our prayers for God to send more laborers into the harvest? These prayers for collaboration are intrinsically linked to our prayers for more laborers. As we pray for unity and collaboration, we recognize the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We feel the need. We ask God then to send more workers into His harvest, knowing that a united church is more effective in reaching the lost. Our prayers for collaboration are not just about working together. They're about aligning ourselves with God's mission and praying earnestly for more to join us in the work. The truth is that collaboration and unity are essential to fulfilling Christ's call to reach the harvest. We can't do it individually on our own. We can't do it as a church on our own. We need collaborations as reproducing churches, and we need relational overlap amongst congregation members. The vision of Madison Multiply is to saturate Madison and Dane County with faithful, gospel-centered churches. We hope to create a, a mesh network. You guys know about mesh Wi-Fi? It's pretty cool. I now have Wi-Fi in my garage and on my back porch. It's amazing. But we want to create a mesh network of believers here in the city such that everyone in Dane County has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. Can you imagine that? What kind of city would we have? So let's embrace this call. Making Madison a city where the love of Christ is not just spoken, but lived. Through prayer, we can grow in our kingdom vision saying, let your kingdom come, Jesus. Not just our brand of it. I was sitting on my back porch a few summers ago. And I had just, just read a book about kind of the, just the storyline of Scripture. About, and I read a, read a biography about a missionary to India called Leslie Newbegin. And Leslie Newbegin's life was one of, of coming into India, one of many missionaries to come there. 
And he meets uh, a, an Indian religious man. And, um, and as Newbegin begins to talk with him, this man unpacks how he just, he hates the Bible. And he hates Western missionaries even more. And Newbegin draws him out on, on exactly what his frustrations are. And he says, you guys come in here telling us that this is a religious text. He said, we have hundreds of religious texts. This is not a religious text. This book claims to know the origin, problem, solution, and future destiny of all mankind. And so I'm sitting on my porch after, after reading this and just hearing how, like, how Newbegin's ministry, kind of incarnational ministry in India caused revival. And just this idea of what does it mean to be just in my neighborhood. And it hit me in that moment. And I, th- I think it was the spirit. It wasn't a voice. But it was just such a strong question that just began ringing through my heart. Ben, are, are you willing to collaborate with others in the city in order to see that kind of vision of revival in Madison come about? And it's like, well, of course. Of course I am. That's what I want. We got the Vine, we got Reamer City, we got some of these other churches that are kind of Reformed, Evangelical, Baptistic. And then the question kind of came back Are you willing, even if it's not through Madison Multiply fully? And I think that, that just hit a little different. And the question that followed it was Do, do we actually think, and I'm going to kind of wrap you all into this question. It was personal in the moment, but I'm going to wrap you in with me. Do we think that we can grow our churches large enough? Or plant enough churches to reach our city for Jesus? If the answer is yes, that's problematic at best. And I think might come from a heart of sinful pride. We need to pray earnestly for collaboration in our city. For God to send more laborers into his harvest. Recognizing that these prayers are interconnected and essential to fulfilling our mission. Fine family, I'm so encouraged by how you serve outside of these walls. And how you partner with the gospel across around the city. And I just want to encourage you to to keep in front of you the idea that this style of worship. That this style of evangelism. That our way of serving our city are not the only means that God is going to use. And so not only are we to have a heart of compassion with those outside of the church, outside of the community, but we're to have a heart of collaboration, desiring to be with the body of Jesus, advancing the gospel in our place. And there's a lot of questions you have to ask yourself as you're collaborating with other Christians. I'm not saying this is just like across the board. But what if we kind of asked ourselves how much we're willing to be a little uncomfortable for the sake of advancing the true message of the gospel. And I think we would find that Jesus is ready to meet us there with grace. So the third reality that we see in this text is the call to be deeply committed to Jesus. And deep commitment to Jesus is not just a nice idea. It's actually a a profound dedication. In fact, Jesus in in Luke 14 asks his disciples to count the cost. Don't do this unprepared. It's going to mean something. It's going to cost you. 
And ultimately, this is about aligning our hearts, our minds, our actions with Jesus. The commitment to this person, our Savior, our friend, His mission is nurtured and expressed through prayer. I love to think about the great cloud of witnesses mentioned in Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. These men and women in the Old Testament, these, these men and women of faith endured trials faced persecution, overcame obstacles, all for the promise of Christ. We live in the reality of Christ. They ran the race with perseverance, trusting God to deliver on His Word. They understood the path of discipleship was not easy, but they pressed on, knowing that the joy that was set before them was worth every sacrifice. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews continues in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 12. He casts our mind to Christ. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is an urge to continue going. To double down on our commitment to Christ with our eyes on him so that it doesn't become of self-effort. It's not a one-time decision to follow Jesus. It's a continuous journey. That's what we mean when we say we're gospel-centered, right? It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that is sanctifying us. And it's the gospel that will bring us home. This is a call to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. To willingly be his hands and his feet out of loving obedience. To reflect his love. To speak his truth in all we do. So as we ponder these examples of faith in Hebrews 12, as well as in the early church and all of the Christians since, if you're not in a regular practice of reading church history, I know it's kind of like the nerd pastor thing to say, but it is so worth it. It's so worth it. There are some incredible biographies out there that chronicle how people put the full weight of their life, literally in many cases, on the promise that Jesus saves, and that he wants all the nations to hear. Fieldwork is really difficult. Think back to our, our field workers bringing in the produce every week to the Dane County Farmer's Market. It's a hard work. It takes a toll on the body. It takes a toll on just our energy levels. It requires a regular commitment to get up when it's uncomfortable, to be out in the fields. I mean, this last week, I mean, think of it. We just didn't go outside, right? Like, we didn't go outside. But the fields were still being tended. They had to be. And I know that there's, like, tractors with air conditioning, all that kind of stuff now. But I'm just saying, the idea of this metaphor, that the, the fields are ripe, is that the harvest window and Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, but just bear with me for a second. The harvest window is short. And so there's a call to get out in it. If we're speaking of farming, 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's an urgency to it. Jesus is doing this on purpose. So what does it mean to endure hardship? To endure trials as we follow Jesus into the potential for social, economic, physical danger. Those are the kinds of things that we face as workers in his kingdom. Well, enduring hardship and trials as we follow Jesus is a profound expression of our readiness to be sent. And so this is where we have to come to grips with the fact that this call to the Lord, this prayer to God to send more laborers, wait for the tap on your shoulder because it's coming. You see, so the commitment to Christ is what prepares us to not only pray for more workers to come, but to answer the call when God says, yeah, I want to send you into this place, into this field. It's going to cost you, but it's going to be worth it. This is not about reckless abandonment, but a calculated commitment to Christ's mission. Knowing He's sovereign over all of our circumstances. It's about aligning our hearts with His and being willing to say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Our prayers for more laborers will become personal, divine family. It will be a call for us to go. Are we listening? So we'll step back now. And just look at kind of this whole picture that's developed in front of us over the last 30 minutes. This picture that's helped us to see the reality that we must respond to Jesus' call to labor prayerfully with His love. Pleading with God. Pleading with our Father to send more laborers into His harvest. And so we saw the necessary compassion the heart of compassion that we need to have like Jesus. It's this compassion that doesn't merely observe, but reaches out. It's guided by by prayer. And it creates this kind of feedback loop of having compassion, exercising compassion, needing more of Jesus, getting compassion, exercising compassion, needing more of Jesus. Also, we can be in collaboration with Him. Recognizing that the mission of reaching the harvest is not just ours, but a shared endeavor with the body of Christ. With the church, Madison-wide, Dane County-wide. And we saw how this all fuels and comes out of this deep commitment to Jesus. To be like Him, to obey Him. This compassion and collaboration is the substance of our commitment the display of our deep trust. And as we see God work over and over again, we are strengthened to trust Him all the more. I don't know about you, but when I come across the hard things that Jesus asks me to do, not just in my devotional life, but especially when they, they hit in real space and time, the cumulative effect of saying yes is more and more love and trust. That's how it's designed to be. So as we've seen all these three realities, we need to land this in something concrete, something practical. Jesus' command to pray earnestly for laborers in his harvest is not just a distant ideal, it's a present call. And so I want to walk through the struggle, I want to recommend an action, and then kind of do a final reflection on all of this, and then we'll conclude this morning. Here's the struggle. In a world filled and driven by activity, 
the struggle is to prioritize our prayers real. I know it. I know we've got five kids, 11 through 3, and it is busy. Yet Jesus' words remind us that, that prayer is something we're called to. And prayer can't be passive. I mean, I'm going to call out dudes for a second. I don't think this is totally just guys, but like we know what happens when we're passive in conversations with our wives. It doesn't go very well, at least not in my house. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Are you listening? Right? Imagine if that was our whole existence. Passive, passivity in relational dialogue does not grow relationships. And ladies, you could have unloaded there a little bit on the guys. That was supposed to be kind of a light thing. It's okay. Well, y'all maybe are just doing great in your marriages. I'm going to just congratulate Zach. He's just driving it home. It happens in our house. I get distracted by things. Sometimes I'm even so distracted I'm unaware that we're in a conversation. I have to pay attention. I have to lean in. I've learned by God's grace over 16 years to initiate along the lines that Nikki feels passionate about. And as I press in, I just reap reward after reward of communication and alignment and the things that are important in our household start to move and grow. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. This is where we align with God. It's where we seek His guidance, His strength. And this struggle... The struggle to cultivate a robust prayer life is worth the effort. We're sadly in the final weeks of summer. In fact, I think it's actually maybe over. Sorry. Kids who went back to school, did you all feel it acutely? I know Karis has started in some other places. Last night was like, we went from the middle of July in Georgia to like October. It was really strange. We were at our neighborhood block party. It's hot. Slip and slides going on. All of a sudden, the sun goes behind the trees, and like sweatshirts and pants are coming out. And everyone's just like, the fires are starting like it's, you know, the middle of winter. And I don't know about you, but this is when we start to like really think in earnest of our fall schedule. We have been now, basically, we start the end of July, and we look to work through the few weeks, first few weeks of August, and we say, okay, what is, what's on our plate this fall? What do we make room for? And so here's a tough question, and I ask this of myself too. If we prayed to the Lord of the harvest and asked him to send, would we have the margin to respond? And I know this is a tricky question, and my, my goal here is not to, to load something into your backpack already full with potentially books or laptops or whatever else. But I know that when we think about addition when it comes to mission, we almost always get subtraction. I'm not a big math guy, but I think that's how it at least shows up in my life. And so instead of adding something into your schedule, putting something else on your to-do list, I want to encourage you to combine your regular activities with prayer for more laborers. What does that look like? Think about your workplace. Think about the neighborhood walk you take. Think about the farmer's market. Think about driving here. 
One of my favorite images from last year, a couple years ago, James' opening illustration was, hey, drove here, and the flex lane's closed. What if it would be open on Sunday mornings? Because so many people are coming to the houses of the Lord all over the city to worship Him. As you're driving, pray for the people around you. It'll help you when one of them cuts you off. You'll already be in a Zen state. Maybe. Still might not help. We're all in different areas of growth. As you think about your kids' activities, Saturday mornings filled with sitting in folding chairs under sunshades, watching kids compete in athletics, or maybe it's going to recitals, or maybe it's whatever myriad of activities there are that kids can be involved with this day. If you're a parent, how are you praying for the other parents who are there with you? How are you using that time to let the compassion of Christ fuel relationship building? I'm urging you to set aside time in the things you're already doing and ask God to send more laborers into the harvest. Our commitment to this prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. It's a declaration of our desire to join the work And so as we prepare to conclude this morning, I want to put one more image in front of you. I want us to turn our gaze to Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who not only commands us to pray, but models it with a fervent sincerity. His high priestly prayer in John 17 reveals his his interceding not just for his disciples, but for all who would come to believe in him through through their word. That's us. He prays for unity, protection, and sanctification. In John 17, 21, he prays that they, the people who believe in him, kingdom, citizens, God's children, may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. This unity, this oneness with the Father, this is the heart of the gospel. And it's what fuels our prayers and our mission. It's what drives us into the fields. And consider also Jesus' profound surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane, where his heartfelt cry just hours before he would be killed on a Roman cross was, not my will, but yours be done. And these words aren't just mere sentiment. We know because he followed through. They're a deep yielding to the Father's will. And we stand in the glorious light of it. Hebrews 5, 7-9 reminds us, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. This is the gospel that beckons us into the fields. A gospel that enables us to obey Jesus. It's the gospel that fuels our prayers. Obedience to Jesus is enabled by his compassion on us, his desire to collaborate with us, and his call to help us hold to the commitment that we make as his followers. So as we leave this morning, let's carry with us this call to earnest prayer pleading with the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers,
Let's strive to make our communities a place where Christ's compassion is not just a concept, but it's the clear, visible calling in our lives. Where His mission is not just a nice thought, but it's compelling. Let's be compassionate like Him, collaborating with Him, committed to Him. Let's go fueled by the gospel, family. Led by the Spirit, the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. Would you join me as I pray to that end now? Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have enabled in us. None of us would be in this room of our own choosing this morning, but you have enabled us to enter into the kingdom to be changed by proximity to you, relationship with God, power from the Holy Spirit, all, all through this beautiful gospel that God was, is saving and bringing near by grace and through faith. So I pray that as we, as we go out into the spaces that you have put us, that we reestablish relationships that have been interrupted by summer Fun and a change of rhythms, less rhythm. I pray that as we reestablish that we would have your heart, Jesus. That we would obey. That we would call to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. I pray that you would help us to be mindful of the other Christians in our life who don't worship with us on Sunday mornings. That we might speak the gospel into their lives as equally as we speak the gospel into unbelievers' lives. And that as we strengthen one another, that there would be such a unity in the church on mission in Madison that the city would be forced to stop and say, what is going on? Who is this God that you worship? Who is this Jesus? Spirit, we pray that you would be about that work. Just thank you for this time we could spend together. Father, I love these people. I'm so grateful for what you're doing in and through them. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.